0: Hi there, thank you for downloading and listening to the 4 Million Years Later podcast. This is a show where a couple of bold friends get together and watch an episode of the Generation 1 Transformers cartoon in story order, then convene to talk about what we saw, looking at it from a variety of angles. You know, we grew up with the show, never fell out of love with it. And now here we are, not so young, watching it one episode at a time and reflecting on how we experienced it as children and how we feel about it today. My name is Jersey Drozd. I'm a cartoonist and teaching artist. The other host is named...
1: What?
0: <laughs> Where is var coming from? What am I missing?
1: Rickar. Oh. <laughs> var.
0: Nice. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> Oh, I talk TV. So yeah, we're going to talk TV a lot in this one because we are on episode 85, which is called, as you saw in the title, everybody, because I know you're looking at it on your phone or on your computer and you saw the title, but what is it just to hear Hoover say it?
1: The big broadcast of 2006.
0: Which is, you know, a decade and change ago now. (laughs) Long time ago in the future of 2006. So, who wrote it?
1: This one is by Michael Reeves, and we have not heard that name yet. He is new to Mm -hmm. Transformers, but his writing credits go back to the mid-70s on filmation cartoons such as Space Sentinels, Tarzan, Flash Gordon, and Blackstar. Oh. Not to mention Hanna-Barbera cartoons like Space Stars and The New Shmoo. Plus, there was He-Man, oh. Smurfs, Mighty Orbots, what Spider-Man and his amazing friends, oh Dungeons and Dragons, Hooray. old position, oh my God, GoBots, yes, Centurions, oh boy, Droids, E-oo. Ewoks, Jim, <laughs> outrageous, Bionic Six,
0: family, My
1: Little Pony,
0: <laughs> Starcom,
1: Magnum. Spiral Zone, but it wasn't just cartoons. He also did live action like Captain Power. One episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, The Flash, Swamp Thing, and then even more cartoons like Gargoyles, Batman the Animated Series, and the 2002 He-Man, and even more. You have for sure seen his work before. He got around. But there was no G.I. Joe, surprisingly, and only this episode of Transformers.
0: Wow, that is... That's a long list of stuff. And I think 10,000 foot up view before we dive in. Fair warning, everybody. This is an ACOM episode. So, you know. (laughs) So there's a lot of awkwardness and weirdness in the visuals and in the pacing. But I would say, broadly speaking, I think there's a lot of interesting ideas in this one. It also feels like it kind of ends in this incomplete way, which we'll get to. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's it's. I'm not gonna be pointing at the visuals very much in this one, Hoover. I'm gonna try to accentuate the positive. There's a lot of weird looking stuff in it. Also, the big broadcast of 2006. I'm pretty sure that it's a reference to the big broadcast of 1938, which is a W.C. Fields Bob Hope movie, which I've never seen. But I read the synopsis and I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's Bob Hope with a bunch of girls again. <laughs> 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 I, I I know he has he has his fans, but it's like I I don't. I have difficulty watching the Bob Hope movies where he's going like "hamina, hamina, hamina" chasing women around. So, <laughs> but anyway, this is the part of the show where I, it, also. Let me back up and say that that reference to the big broadcast of 1938. I feel like this episode is like sort of just jam-packed with television references that I am not certain that we got as children. It seems like that Mr. Reeves was really writing from his childhood when he was doing a lot of these TV quotes. Now, some of them I recognized as a child. We'll get to those. I don't, I'm not going to name them all, but but there's a number of them where I was like, what is that? What do they say in there? I don't know what that means. And some of them I actually still had to look up today. Mm. Anyway.
1: Well, the the wiki, tfwiki.net, has a list of pretty much every reference in this episode, and they explain where they come from. So if there are any that you're lost on, just go there.
0: Oh, thank you for that, Hoover. Thank you, TFWiki. Okay, so this is the part where I do the IMDb cold logline read. Mm-hmm. And this, this is multiple sentences, or it's one gigantic sentence. I did not read it ahead of time. I always try to skim over it. Yeah, get comfortable over for this one. <laughs> and we'll see if I get caught in any of the elaborate traps laid by crowdsourced information on the internet. Speaking of grammatical anomalies. Okay, here we go. <clears throat> The Quintessons invade the planet Junkion and use subliminal messaging tactics to convince the Junkions to be efficient and tidy, and that all other races are their enemies. When the transmitter sending out the messages is damaged in a battle between Autobots and Decepticons, the Junkions decide to send their message across the galaxy, leading to warfare erupting on numerous planets.
1: Dun, okay. dun, dun.
0: So, here we go into an episode about media literacy, kids. <laughs> Don't believe everything you see or read. Just because it's on the TV doesn't mean you can trust it. And I feel like, and I want to I want to do a lot of talking about this at the end, about like this was something that showed up in a lot of cartoons at the time about, you know, television's power and really reckoning with it. Where can we watch this one, Hoover, if we dare watch this one?
1: Well, this one is on YouTube on the Hasbro Pulse channel. Or you could view it on Tubi, Season 3, Episode 22.
0: Season 3, Episode 22 on tubi.tv. Okay, where do we begin?
1: We begin on the planet of junk, easily identifiable by its red sky and, well, the junk all over the place. We're either on the planet of junk or we're in my garage. But there's a (laughs) red sky, so it's probably not my garage.
0: Nice, nice.
1: We pan down to Rekgar and a female Junkion whose animation model more resembles the Lithones from the very beginning of Transformers the Movie. Not surprisingly, the two of them sit in front of a TV. And just to remind you that the Junkions speak in television language, Rekgar turns to his companion and says,
0: He's looking at you, kid. For a transcript, send one dollar to
1: Michael Press. Rettgar's lady friend is voiced by Joy Gridnick. She was Princess Nimue and a Decepticon Raider in King Arthur's Court, and she'll also be doing some other small roles later this season. Hmm. She has a very small IMDB, but did some additional voices for both the Smurfs and the Dukes cartoon. Hmm. And yes, there was a Dukes of Hazard cartoon.
0: I was going to ask, but I didn't want to interrupt, so <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> As the American flag comes on screen, Retgar responds.
0: This concludes our broadcast day. We will be- to the air at
1: 6 a.m and any of you listeners not as long in the tooth as jersey and i yes tv used to go off the air at night in the years before 24-hour <laughs> cable television and even a little after and oftentimes before that would happen here in america they would play the national anthem and show footage of the flag <laughs> flapping in the wind and other patriotic imagery and that probably sounds crazy to anyone 25 and under, but I assure you it happened.
0: I, yeah, I remember that so clearly. And I, this was part of the magic of discovering a UHF station. Not only did I discover Transor Z and Robotech because of WSMH TV 66, but they were on, if they weren't on all night, they were on very late. So like CBS would go off there at like, you know, midnight or one in the morning. And I had a little like 12 inch black and white TV in my bedroom. And so that, you know, the national anthem would play. They, they literally would show like an eagle's head. They'd show some mountains and stuff All the anthems playing. And then it would just go to like a, a color test, right? It would be the color bars or something mm-hmm. like that. And then I would flip to WSMH TV 66 and Laverne and Shirley would be on. Mm-hmm. And I could stay up until 3 o'clock in the morning watching like Happy Days Laverne and Shirley and all those other late 70s, early 80s syndicated TV shows. <laughs> so... But, yeah, that is hard to think about. There was a time where, one, we only got to watch what was on TV when they showed it to us, and, two, it went away. <laughs> and yet we still get this story where there's a lot of cautionary tales about, like, you know, too much screen time. Oh, man, if only they knew how it was going to get in 2020 whatever. Okay, but also as we as this scene plays out, you know, I, I'm not I'm not trying to bash on Acom, but there is a sort of anti lesson buried in this first scene, where the first time we see Rettgar and whatever the you know female presenting Junkion's name is, I think he shouts her name later, but it's really hard to tell what he said. He's on the right, and she is on the left, and then it cuts to the TV screen, and then it cuts back to them. She's on the right, he's on the left. <laughs> so They just like flip the shot. And this is something that I try to like really hammer home when you're talking about visual storytelling is remaining consistent in terms of character placement on the screen and not make jarring changes like that. Because yeah, did they get up and switch seats when the <laughs> natural anthem was playing on the screen? No, it was just, they they literally just flipped the shot and weren't paying attention. Now this is the kind of thing that as a child, I never would have picked up on careful watching as an adult. This is me saying to all the visual storytellers out there who are listening, Be careful where you put your characters in shot, and if you need to have them change position, you need to have a transitionary moment where they are crossing each other so that we don't go, huh, what just happened there? (laughs) Anyway, Acom, gonna, (laughs) Acom.
1: Anyways, we pull back from the Junkions watching TV, and it seems someone's watching them on TV. It's those pesky Quintessons always keeping an eye on what the robots are up to, be they Autobot, Decepticon, or Junkion. Remember they said in their first appearance in Five Faces of Darkness, we
0: just like to watch. It's <laughs> true, they do. I, good good memory. And yeah, here they are watching on one of those omnipotent Sunbow screens where you can see whatever you want. You just go up to the screen and say, show me this, and it's, it's like the witch's cauldron in uh you Wizard know, <laughs> of Oz. But... I do like the image that they show here of like the Junkions doing like this sort of ritual at the end of the day. If we gather on the TV together as 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 a culture to absorb the TV, but shots like this are why I think people don't remember season three as fondly as the first season. Because as we pull back, you see Junkion in the far distance. You see the, these three giant, sort of beveled screens. Arranged in like a triangle, and they see the junkyans like sort of gathered looking at it as you look over the quintessence quote unquote shoulders. But then look at the ground, Hoover. I mean, they're sitting in <laughs> these giant concrete blocks, which is fine. It's a junk planet, but the ground looks like it's like an ice rink. They just didn't finish it's it. It's
1: immaculate. Where's the junk?
0: <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, like it, it's stuff like that. It's like that. It, it feels cheap. It feels unfinished. And I think that's why a lot of people that we know at least are like, Oh, I only watched up to about like episode 20. And then I don't remember anything that happened after that. And yeah. Why, why would you, because there's not much for your eyes to feast on in shots like this.
1: Well, the Quintessons talk among themselves, analyzing the junkie on's actions and mentioning needing to recover a journal saying it's going to be more difficult than imagined, forcing them to attack by more subtle means. Now, as of yet, we don't know anything about a journal. Maybe Jersey's Tween Years journal got tossed out in the trash by his siblings, and so now the Junkions can read all about the Bionic 6 episodes (laughs) that they've missed. Nice. (laughs) Nice. And then we cut away to a Quintesson ship hovering above the Planet of Junk which shoots a light down to the surface and unleashes a team of Sharktacons. They begin sifting through the junk, eating some of it, until one Sharktacon holds a cylindrical metal tube over his head, alerting the ever-watching Quintessons that they found what they were sent to retrieve. The Quintessons order the Sharktacons return to the ship, however a blast of energy shoots this journal out of the Sharktacons' hands. It's Retgar here with a group of Junkions defending their home turf.
0: And if familiarity is what you show up for in the Transformers show, the animators are happy to oblige you by showing all the heroes on one side with laser guns shooting horizontally across the screen at the villains on the other side of the screen responding. But also there's this part where Retgar takes one of the wheels off of his arm. You know, like when he's in robot mode, his one wheel goes on his knee and one wheel goes on his elbow. And he throws it like a throwing star at one of the Sharktacons, and it literally cuts the Sharktacon's arms off as it makes him drop the Kwitasan journal. And it's just, I just find it interesting that we don't, like, if that would have been, if that would have happened to Wheelie, if that would have happened to Grimlock, (laughs) if that would have happened to anybody else in the show, we'd be like, woo, that feels violent. But something about when you make the villains a bunch of we, we observe this in day of the machines if, if they're a bunch of sort of drones or you know army builder characters it's like somehow it, like the violence against a mass doesn't trigger anything in our brains isn't that interesting i'm not trying to make any kind of like you know especially coming off last episode any kind of political statement about pacifism versus violence and I don't want to get into the weeds on that but it just it, I find it really fascinating as a storyteller that if you make them all kind of animal like and make them a horde you could rip their arms off and nobody's going to scream about it mm-hmm. they,
1: they sort of read as lesser yes, almost, almost yes. like insects like if I crush a pill bug you know most Please people don't. aren't going to revolt but if I go crazy and crush Jersey then that's a mm-hmm. problem.
0: Well, at least my wife would be mad. <laughs> I, I won't speak for anybody else's behalf on that regard. But but yeah, yeah, I, I find that really fascinating. And I, and I think it's, I'm not, like, again, I'm not trying to steer anybody's morality on this, but I think that that's an interesting thing to think about when we're writing these kinds of stories.
1: Well, the Junkians managed to scare off the Sharktacons who retreat, leaving the journal behind. Rekar retorts some vaguely relevant TV quotes and reunites with his feminine companion. We switch gears and cut to Skylink's passing near Junkion and radioing in to Rodimus Prime, when suddenly Astrotrain shows up and attacks. The pair begin to battle, but suddenly the Junkions attack them both from the planet below. Now, this is quite a surprise to Skylink's, as the Autobots are always on good terms with the Junkions.
0: And after they chase Skylink's away, what do we see, Hoover, <laughs> when we go back down to the surface of Junkion, We
1: see three very identical <laughs> Rekars standing around. And granted, the <laughs> Junkions all tend to look alike, but not quite this alike.
0: <laughs> <laughs> like, I know in Transformers the movie, we saw that Rekkar had sort of a twin that, he could, that would transform into motorcycle mode, and he would ride on the twin, and they would switch off. So we know there's at least two, but I guess, like, Junkians come in Maybe like four varieties, and it's just weird to see three of the same one mm-hmm. standing together. It, this this feels like you know it's like how how bad can we make the animation errors? <laughs> well, we'll put some dead characters in the you know foreground. You know, here's Huffer, here's Braun. Now it's like let, ah screw it at this point. Let's just make them all the same guy. It'll be easier to draw.
1: <laughs> then we cut away to Rodimus and Magnus on Cybertron, where the pair are at some sort of construction site. The new hyper-generator will restore power to the entire 7th Grid Sector. Hmm? I know you're bored, Rodimus, but with the mantle
0: of leadership come obligations. Hmm, don't suppose I could interest you in a used mantle?
1: So here's Rodimus back to wanting to shirk his responsibility. Gosh, leadering is hard. (laughs) Suddenly, Skylink shows up explaining that he was fired on by the Junkions, which all three find strange. Skylink's looks pretty distinct, so it's not like the Junkions could have mistaken him for a Decepticon, as he was in his dinosaur bird whatever mode. Rodimus decides to send the aerial bots over to Junk to investigate. Well, over on Char, Astrotrain lands in front of Galvatron and Cyclonus and explains that he has something odd to report, but Galvatron gunna Galvatron, and instead of asking for a report, he just punches Astrotrain in the face. <laughs> Now, there's clearly some missing lines in the exchange. But basically, he reports that the Junkions were firing on an Autobot. And this piques Cyclonus's curiosity, but Galvatron just yells at them both to leave him alone. So we're back to full-on crazy Galvatron.
0: And we're also back to ruined-looking Char, because instead of sitting in a metal room on a throne like we had seen him in some previous episodes... And by the way, this is in the to be ordered this is episode 22 of season three so this is pretty far down the line in terms of episode release order i don't mm-hmm. know when it was written but well actually no we do because like you have put it in story order the way we're going through this right but in some recent episodes we've seen that char is like being rebuilt but now when we see astrotrain come down to meet galvatron he's sitting in it's like a ruined stone chair and there's just rocks all around him and there's like this like boiling pool sitting in front of galvatron So, what happened to all the metal stuff? I mean, granted, this is probably because it's being produced really hastily. I'm not asking for a hoove theory. But given that Rodimus is being kind of like shirking his responsibility and Galvatron's being all like sparkly around the eyes and punching people, I wonder if this was originally written earlier on in the season.
1: Could be. Or because Galvatron seems to be off his meds again, he could have just destroyed it all (laughs) just out of rage. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then ordered the Constructicons to get to work on rebuilding it all.
0: Oh, my God. I love that. I love that idea of, like, he gets home, and he just wrecks up the whole house, and Cyclones like, oh. <laughs> Yep. And then the Constructicons are working, and Galvatron's the kind of guy who looks over the wall and is like, yeah, you work hard, Constructicons. I'm like, yeah, we know we are.
1: <laughs> That's why we hardly ever see the Constructicons this season. They're always busy. <laughs> Well, we cut away to the Quintessons, where they reveal that they've added subliminal messages into the Earth programming that the Junkions watch, giving them not only a distrust of other life forms, but making them into neat and tidy robots as well. The Junkions chant,
0: Flabbiness is bad. is good! Flabbiness is bad! Fleminess is good!
1: And while cleaning, it seems that cylindrical journal has been found by one of the junkions. Rekgar tells him where to put it.
0: So, here we get to that little mention I did earlier about a story about media literacy and, and how I think this, this showed up a lot in the 80s. We had the Cold Slither episode of G.I. Joe. We had, what was the episode where Cobra Commander took over all the TV stations with the wrong stuff? So, yeah. which w- where he was, he was like changing the, the endings of movies, and he was doing this cobra facing programming, and it was all about like, so the, the cold slither was literally about subliteral messages hypnotizing people which was like a big thing in the 80s where people thought like like heavy metal music had satanic messaging in reverse and like mm-hmm. somehow if we hear messages in reverse we'll like become programmed, we we'll all become Satanists remember how many Satanists there were in your town in the <laughs> 80s Hoover? They were everywhere, the place was filthy with Satanists, it was all because of Quiet Riot <laughs> <But> <laughs> But these kind of moral panics like happen all the time and then we should always be like kind of like a little bit cautious hold them at arm's length. We see people saying, you know, clutching their pearls saying think of the children, but it was something that was in the air at that time. And so now we've got this thing where it's actually I want to propose this is an interesting idea is that we got the MacGuffin this 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 tube called the Quintesson Journal. Like well, we gotta get it, but the junkions are formidable, and we don't want to like wreck up our ship too much trying to get this thing back. They already ripped off the arms of a bunch of our Sharkticons. Okay, well they watch a lot of TV. Let's put in some messaging that they'll respond to. Sloppiness is bad, cleanliness is good. They'll organize things and they'll find the journal for us, right? That's actually kind of a cool plot device playing on people's media fears. And also, I think I responded to this positively because I am one of those kids, or I was one of those kids, who that stuff, like the G.I. Joe PSAs, the He-Man PSAs, did they ever work on me? You bet they did. And I quoted them all the time as a child, like Silverbolt reporting to Optimus Prime. I was an insufferable little kid, like Roadblock said, you shouldn't do that, you know? (laughs) So so I was super susceptible to this. And so I kind of saw myself in the chunky on on the screen. So, I mean, I, I'm kind of laughing at it, but I'm also kind of hugging it. Because I'm like, yeah, 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 they're, they're but for the grace of whoever go I. <laughs> While
1: well, watching on their monitor, the Quintessons see their lost journal. They have to retrieve it, but they've just programmed the Junkions to mistrust anyone coming onto their planet. So they hide their ship within a cloud of smoke and descend to the planet's surface. But just then, the aerial bots arrive to investigate Junkion. The Quintessons, hidden in a huge plume of smoke, fear being discovered, so they open fire on the Aerialbots. Now seeing a firefight, the Junkions, now under subliminal control, run to turrets on the planet and shoot at the approaching Autobots, sending them all scattering for their lives as we head to our first commercial break.
0: Mm. And you know what? Sometimes Acom don't got Acom because I did not see a single Aerial bot get obliterated <laughs> in that scene.
1: <laughs> Oftentimes when Acom draws things blowing up, they like they really blow up. They shred like paper.
0: <laughs> and it's always like characters that we love, right? Yep. Did I just watch Silverbolt die? No, it's Acom. It's okay, kid. Oh, thank goodness. Okay. Well, I'm still feeling some tension. So, you know, we we'll we have our own ritual here. The Junkians watch TV at the end of the day. We go to Toys R Us, Kmart, big lots, all these places to spend our parents' money to push down the feelings. So where are we going to spend some money? What stores could we possibly go to today to spend money, Hoover?
1: Nowhere. What? See, we're not leaving the house. We have to sit in front of the TV. Oh. So since we have an episode featuring television and subliminal control, we find ourselves shown commercials for toys sold via television commercial.
0: Oh, Hoover. Okay, can I just stop? I'm going to stop the little skit right here, and I just want to turn to everybody listening and say, like, Hoover has done a bang-up job of finding themes for all these commercial break interludes. It's always a topic related to something in the plot of the episode. I just want to give him a golfer's clap right now. And I I wish everybody else who listens will send him a golfer's clap for always doing this every time. So, okay. Yes, this was a thing. Before we had the internet, the TV would sometimes say, here's a toy you can't get in stores. You got to call this number to get the Uh toy. So I'm excited. What are we going to buy over the phone with my dad's diner's card?
1: Well, unfortunately, I didn't get the idea to start theming the commercials until we were a little bit far into the podcast, but sometimes it just screams out to be done, like this episode.
0: (laughs) All right, so what am I going to order over the phone, Hoove? Well, how
1: about FlexiBlocks? These are the only blocks that move. They aren't just any blocks. They've won four (laughs) major awards.
0: Four major awards! The first toy blocks were good, but very heavy. Kids building blocks have changed a lot. Now there's flexi blocks, the amazing blocks that actually move. It's true, flexi blocks are fun. Flexi blocks are the only blocks that attach end to end and top to bottom to create motion. Watch carefully. Flexi blocks can move and bend. Flexi blocks make working threads and wheels. Amazing blocks you can even wear. Flexi blocks, the only toy to recently win four major awards. It's fun and easy to build anything you see here or design whatever you can imagine. Imagine this FlexiBlocks bonus package is available only through our special TV offers. Parents call now. Only FlexiBlocks have this patented design so boys and girls can make amazing creations. <laughs> I don't know if they don't even say what the awards are. It's like it's like an indie <laughs> film that just like blasts with the screen image of like 75 little laurels. Like, wow, I guess they won a lot of things. Okay, I guess I better go see this indie movie. But <laughs> what I love about the imagery of this one is the kid who makes that terrifying helmet out of these flexi blocks. and just sits on the floor not moving while grandma's ordering the, the, the more blocks over the phone. Oh, man. And I, and I look at this grandma. It's not mom and dad because mom and dad are going to be like, no, that's a scam. It's like, you know, 25 bucks for like a little pail of the blocks. I get just some Legos at the store. But these don't move. Well, grandma, she'll she'll get them for me because grandma says yes to everything. <laughs> <laughs> it's there in the commercial. They're telling you what to do just like the subliminal messaging from the Quintessence, Pay attention to media, children. So, yeah, I, I like I said, I'm susceptible. I just ordered five pails of Flexi Blocks. I don't know what I'm going to make out of them yet, but I'm going to do something.
1: Well, if you're not a fan of flexi Blocks, how about better blocks? It says it right there in the name. They're better than the other blocks you have at home. And these glow in the dark.
0: Hey, kids, watch this! New Better Blocks glow in the dark to give your fun times an exciting spark. Watch how they bend, curve, move, and glow in new cool colors that really show. Just snap on Better Block Glow Connectors, like this, and see your Lego blocks in a new light. Cool! Make an everyday castle light up at night and a pirate ship that's glowing with fright. Make a dinosaur that dances and a unicorn that frances. Be a super athlete or commander of a Starfleet, a movie star at Halloween, or a shimmering beauty queen glow-in-the-dark better blocks are worth a little more but since my kids got them they turned their old blocks into brand new toys kids make a sword that glows a rocket that goes a sparkling necklace a dazzling ring a thousand and one illuminated things parents ordered the 200 piece glow-in-the-dark better block set today for (laughs) 24.95 so is this a, a hint of what we should do with our next project is like if we do another transformers podcast after finishing g1 we should just call it better transformers podcast. Mm-hmm. And it's gonna glow in the dark too. <laughs> I remember this commercial very well and I remember the, the, all the kids the space armor and everything. I'm like, ah, oh, okay. you know, I'm 12 at this point so it's not I'm I'm, I'm edging toward the age where it's going to be embarrassing if I make <laughs> myself glow in the dark armor, right? But <laughs> but I was still compelled by this idea of like I'm gonna put, I'm gonna be like Tron, <laughs> I'm gonna walk around the house. People are like there goes Tron, it's Tron, he's here. I'm like I know, so yep, I'm getting them too. Did you have these? Who?
1: No, I was I liked blocks when I was really young, like I would say like six, seven, but then once there was G.I. Joes and Transformers bought, it's like who needs blocks?
0: Yep, same. So these yep.
1: these came along too late.
0: And I was never a super big Lego kid, and they and that's that's I think that's partially because we didn't have like the, the kind of Lego stuff we have today. Yeah. But also, everybody hit the back ten of your podcatcher because you have to listen again to how deliriously happy this narrator is hmm. about these blocks. I mean, like she almost sounds like like she's ready to crack.
1: <laughs> well, her life has been filled with regular blocks, but now she's discovered better blocks. So, right, her life is forever transformed
0: she's like gonna turn to the foaming at the mouth kid and avatar the last airbender oh my god that's <laughs> so much better ah! so yep i have to get those two i gotta make myself the fancy tron suit and then i'm also gonna make myself a terrifying helmet and bug my grandma so you can't get me to get all three can you
1: well how about we call 1-800 teddies <laughs> that's t-e-d-d-i-e-s Okay. Forget a birthday? Is one of your friends depressed and staying in a hotel? (laughs) Simply call 1-800-TEDDIES and ship them the softest teddy bear you can imagine. Oh my god. We were through history. I called him selfish and insensitive. Then this adorable teddy appears in my life and, well, I think he's worth one more try. The god said no reason. I was just thinking about you don't put it off call 1-800 teddies right now our lovable huggable teddies are guaranteed to melt the heart of everyone they meet so there i am real depressed stuck in this hotel room two thousand
0: miles from home a gorgeous teddy bear turns up with a card that says i need a hug every day she's some lady my wife Don't wait for a special
1: occasion. Make tomorrow a special day for someone somewhere. Call 1-800-TEDDIES and ask for Rosie. She's ready to send off a teddy from you 24 hours a day.
0: This was... I never heard of this before, Hoover, Did you? you No, this was
1: new to me. I do (laughs) not have (laughs) any memory of this. And I watched a lot of television.
0: So did I. But I don't remember this at all. And this is like, this is such a perfect choice for this episode because this is another one where it's like so loaded with visual storytelling. If you're not paying close attention, it's basically saying, Are you surrounded by misery? <laughs> is everybody in your life unhappy and unfulfilled? Call this number. We'll overnight them a teddy bear, variety of sizes. We'll send them a six foot tall teddy bear overnight. We will burn so many fossil fuels and make so much plastic to make your depressed friend a little less depressed. Well, all my friends, are you sure? Yes, but my best friend's the CEO of a company. He'll hug that teddy bear. <laughs> watch the commercial, people. It shows him hugging the teddy bear and all of his employees come out like touching, going like, oh my God, it's so soft. And then it shows a woman in a hospital. She's like, I'm in the hospital, I'm all alone. Oh, a teddy bear was delivered, now I'm happy. And it even cuts to a woman on the phone breaking up with the boyfriend, and then he mails her a teddy bear.
1: <laughs> and that fixes everything.
0: Oh my this is the most screwed. This feels like a Saturday Night Live thing. It doesn't feel real to me. Oh, we're going to find out it was. It was a Saturday Night Live skin. It wasn't real. It can't be real. But I'm going any of my friends who, like, if they express any sadness, like, I had a rough day at work. Boom! Teddy bear <laughs> delivered tomorrow. You have so many teddy bears in the future, everybody. Oh, I pulled something on my neck. <laughs>
1: I'll let me send you a teddy bear real quick.
0: <laughs> oh no! One eight hundred teddies. Oh my god, that's even better than one hundred four nine oh freak. Oh, thank you, <laughs> Hoover. I'm getting them all. I'm getting all the teddy bears, it's even the giant one, so I can give it to my suit wearing CEO friend, and he'll just hug it in the office, and everybody will just admire him and his teddy bear. My god. Oh, three for three i got I to calm down and watch this episode of Transformers, so oh, let's go. Oh. <laughs> well, we come back
1: to the Aerialbots attempting to form Superion, but they're taking too much fire. Finally, they complete the transformation, but the Quintessons are still firing at them as well. Seeing their ship in the clouds, Superion flies in and attacks back, and we get a terribly ugly Acon battle. Eventually, Superion is felled, tumbling to the planet below, radioing Rodimus with his plight. The Quintessons decide to retreat and get out while the getting's good.
0: And this scene is another scene where it felt like, yeah, your comment about the Acom fight is absolutely apt because the dialogue suggests that the Quintessons are using their most powerful weapons and Superion's just pushing them back. And as I was listening to the dialogue and hearing what, what the narration was and what the, you know, the plot direction was, I was like, you know, it occurs to me that Superion's getting a lot of screen time in season three. And they're really making a case that he's one of the toughest Autobots on the block. He shows mm-hmm. up a lot, right? Like Cyclonus yep. and Scourge, like bump into him like the Three Stooges and just like fall down. Whoa, oh, I'm all damaged now from bumping into Superion. Yeah. So it's just such a drag that it looks like this because it's really, I think if it would have been in Toei's hands, it would have been like that Metroplex and Trypticon fight. we would love Superion, right? We think it's really, really cool.
1: (laughs) But then who else arrives on the scene but Cyclonus and some sweeps? Cyclonus spies the retreating Quintessons. A Quintesson ship. Something very peculiar is happening
0: here. I want a closer look at Tunkion.
1: We cut to the surface where the Junkions stand around watching TVs. Retgar and his female companion are among them.
0: I pity the fool who misses with us. Let's consume mass quantities of TV. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane, it's... Bright Caesar's Gulf! So, that sample is a good example of like what Retcar's dialogue is throughout this entire episode. I mean, it, he literally all he says is TV quotes this entire show. And, and it's, it's pretty, they do a pretty good job of actually coming up with TV quotes that apply to what he's thinking. It's not just him, like just saying words to right. say, I like TV. It actually reflects his inner thoughts. And it, it feels like, I think we talked about this in the transformers. The movie coverage is like, it feels uh, prescient in that here's a society that is like almost entirely like just, almost mimetic right it's like they just like say metaphors for how they feel based on things everybody's watched on tv like that gif of chris pratt from parks and rec where he looks at the camera and smiles and like (laughs) we know what that means right but the other thing i noticed is that there are a lot of superman tv show quotes in this episode like that last line and I think a lot of the more 1950s, 1960s TV show quotes kind of flew over my head as a child, but I remember The Great Caesar's Ghost triggering in my brain, like, oh, that's Perry White, because I actually read the 1960s Superman and action comic stories and Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen and stuff. Do you remember whether or not you actually... I mean, we all knew what that first line was. I pity the fool who messed with us. Of course, we knew that. (laughs) But, like, the other ones, like, there was a Coneheads quote, then the Superman TV show. Do you remember, like... What's your memory of the the junkie on speech like did that did you re- that register with you at all is what I'm asking?
1: Well, I probably got at least half of them just because I was always in front of the television and <laughs> the Superman stuff was ubiquitous enough to where I was familiar with the black and white show thanks to like Nick at night mm, and okay. I even had like a a seven inch that wasn't it wasn't a book in record but it was just like the Superman theme. Hmm. on a seven-inch record, and it began with, like, look, up in the sky, it's a bird, it's Ah, a plane, and, like, it had that sort of intro on it. And, of course, whenever people talked about Superman back then, because, you know, the adults back then had grown up with the black-and-white TV show, you know, they would say that phrasing and other stuff along with it. So it was all very familiar, at least the Superman stuff to me. I'm not sure if I would have recognized something like consume mass quantities because I was well aware of Saturday Night Live, but that might have been a little too specific for me. Yeah, and I think like that. I mean, I know we would have been
0: really little kids. Yeah, Yeah, we would have been really little kids when the Coneheads were a thing. I mean, I remember there was that Rankin Bass cartoon special that they did, and I remember watching that, but they were not like in my cultural radar as much. So. But, yeah, I, I have to say, like, in retrospect, as I watch it now, I'm like, they did a decent job. Like, he, he actually worked hard to, it seems like he worked hard to find TV quotes that applied to what the Junkions are thinking. And that's kind of cool. That's mm-hmm. that's, that's not nothing.
1: Yeah, that's one thing I will say about this episode is that the the TV-related quotes are fitting. Mm-hmm. So, he did something right, episode. <laughs> Well, The Decepticons find themselves met with laser fire, and this begins a huge battle with the Junkions defending their planet while spouting such pulp culture phrases as,
0: "I'm a winner! I'm a winner! I believe in me!"
1: Cyclonus has seen everything he needs to know and orders them return to Char. The Junkions celebrate another victory.
0: There's a couple scenes in this bit where they're fighting with the Decepticons that are like kind of worth noting and looking at the TV. So the female presenting Junkion gets blowed up by Cyclonus. And then, like, she sort of, and, and, and Rekker actually screams, like, in agony. He's like, oh, no, kind of thing. But he says whatever the robot's name, or maybe he says, like, another TV character's name. I don't know. But he screams in in agony. But then she, like, sort of just, like, recombobulates, yeah. like, on the fly. Like, they, like a bunch of Junkians don't run up and, like, reassemble her like they did to Ultra Magnus in Transformers, the movie. Like, she just, like, reassembles. And then she's like, I'm back and better than ever. And then he does, like, a baby, boom. you're the greatest. So... That's one thing that was weird, you know, that was surprising that like some junkions can just like sort of reassemble like the iron giant. So or or like Mangalars. But the part where he does the be a winner line, it's really funny. He gets, he gets like blown away from like this turret gun he's using to fight the Decepticons. And he like just sort of bumps into this giant TV, like 50 or 60 feet tall TV. And there's an aerobic show on where we have, you know, the same actress who's playing the female junkie on is to do like, you know, and kick and jump. And, and then she does this whole bit. She's like, be a winner. And that's where he gets the inspiration for that. Be a winner line. I'm only underlining that because it comes into play in act three. And there's a line that I go like, ooh, somebody else is watching aerobics videos. <laughs> I'll leave that on the table for now. We'll get to it later. But hang on to the fact that the Winner line comes from watching, you know, sweating to the oldies with some blonde woman. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Meanwhile, Skylinx has picked up the fallen Superion and flown him back to Cybertron. He sets the combiner down on the surface as Rodimus, Magnus, and First Aid zoom up to meet him. Will he be all right? <laughs>
0: Well, there seems to be no permanent damage. Thank the Matrix.
1: Uh, good thing Perceptor didn't show up. Uh <laughs> fear the wounds are fatal. Get out of here, Perceptor. You're not our <laughs> medic anymore.
0: Oh, we got to turn that one into a T-shirt too now. <laughs> what about him? Fatal. What about he He bumped his foot? Fatal. <laughs> He's like the, the Dr. Kevorkian of the Transformers. Oh, Perceptor. <laughs>
1: Superion struggles to speak, explaining that the Quintessons were present and likely involved in this mess. Herodimus intends to find out. We cut back to the Quintessons again spying on the Junkions and taking note of the effect of their subliminal messages, but it seems that in the battle the computer sending out the hidden messages was damaged and it's begun sending the wrong message, that to share is to care. So this leads Rekkar to share his television signal with anyone who can receive it, beaming it back out across the galaxy using a large satellite dish. So now, the other planets in the galaxy are getting subliminal signals along the lines of, to share is to care, not the Quintesson's intent at all.
0: Uh, I I love this line. Ever since I was a kid, I've loved the line where it's like, you suddenly hear a Quintesson voice saying, to share is to care. And it cuts to Rekkar's face like, Share? Care and they're of course they're watching it on their you know I can see anything in the universe TV screen. The, one of the quintessents says, "Share! Where did that come from?" <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so good. I love I love the villains actually like confronting positive messaging and being like really bewildered and upset by it. <laughs> oh, and and I always love the line when Retgar like decides that well we got to share this message with the universe. So he climbs the tower and he says, "We must boldly share our signal with all the sloppy life forms who are our enemies." There's something about like this like kind of Monty Python-esque, and I know he was originally played by Eric Idle, so they're probably like leaning into that kind of humor, but this way that he's like cheerfully saying, we're to share this message with the world that we hate. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, the Quintessons are unable to stop the unintended subliminal messages and can only sit back and watch the effect that these messages have on nearby planets, such as Delta Bavonis IV. We close in to said planet, which seems very similar to Earth, but populated by a humanoid cat race. We find the program Space Age Jack airing, a show around some reptilian aliens fighting some Earth-like humanoids. We close in on the screen.
0: Let's get those lousy reptiles once and for all! Joe Jack!
1: Hmm, I wonder what mm. they were parodying there. Wink wink. <laughs> and yes, that is Michael Bell, voice of Duke from G.I. Joe, and of course, First Aid. As the subliminals come on screen, all viewers are told,
0: All other lifeforms are your enemies! Your enemies!
1: So it seems the subliminals are now back to normal? In any case, the cat-like viewers immediately agree that other lifeforms are the enemy, as numerous planes are launched from their cities. They fly to a city of dog-like creatures and instantly begin warring with them.
0: This is so silly when you go to the dog planet, Hoover. (laughs) Like the cat planet, it's like, okay, it looks vaguely like these are characters that walked out of Thundercats a little bit, right? And by the way, when I saw this scene again, I hadn't watched this episode probably in like 20 years, and I was like, ooh... I think I was unduly influenced by this show uh, as I'm working on a scene in my upcoming book, Baron Von Bear in the case of the Two-Face statue, where they actually go to a city of Panther people and they're dressed just like this. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, gosh, I wonder if I got it from this because I mean, it's it's eerie how similar the clothing is to these characters. <laughs> So when when people ask did you did you base it on them I'm going to say sure. But you get to the dog city and it looks like Jim Henson Productions Dogtown. You know, I mean like the the dog who's driving a car has like a complete cartoon face. He's wearing a polka dot bandana. Yeah, it's, it's nonsense. And then it cuts to another planet where it's like got an earth embassy and there's a woman who looks oddly like Marissa Fairborn who, but instead is voiced again by our only woman in the room who's doing any voice acting on this episode. <laughs> and she totally does like this. Stop y'all can't do this as they're dragging her out of the building. So, so yeah, it, it, this whole scene, I get what they're doing here. It's a neat idea of like what happens if your propaganda machine falls off the rails, right? That's Mm. interesting and and oddly timely considering what we're all going through with media literacy and sense-making right now as a culture, right? But it's just, it feels very goofy that it's like, it's the cat people versus the dog people. (laughs) (laughs) Okay.
1: The Quintessons note similar situations on other nearby planets, so it's chaos out there. But it's chaos they intentionally engineered. We may be witnessing the beginnings of an interstellar dark age.
0: We could turn this kind of barbarism
1: to our advantage.
0: Perhaps
1: by supplying arms and materials to the various forces.
0: Unless, of course, the journal were to be discovered by one of these armies.
1: Correct. The journal must remain our primary objective. Okay, so the Quintessons have spread subliminal messages across the galaxy causing everyone to war with everyone else. But they keep talking about this journal that they don't want found. And we have yet to know why, what it is, or anything about it. We're more than halfway through this episode. Either some key descriptions have been cut from the episode, or this is just poor writing. We cut back to Char where our contemplative Galvatron sits alone. Cyclonus approaches him. Junkions have been reprogrammed somehow. If they could be set against the Autobots.
0: I have said, have I not, that the Junkions are of no interest to me?
1: Yes, mighty one. And with that, Galvatron tosses Cyclonus into a wall and orders him to leave him be. And we see the little sparkles around his head that we've seen before. Cyclonus meets with Scourge, and the decision is made that they'll act without Galvatron, as this potential opportunity is too great. They fly off, hoping to profit from the Junkion's new warlike nature. We cut away to... this is unexpected... Omega Supreme, Mm. who is flying to Junk with passengers Rodimus, Cup, Magnus, and Blaster. Nice to see him again. While still some ways away from the planet, they find themselves under attack by Cyclonus and the sweeps. Unfortunately, they seem to have forgotten how to do the deep effect on Omega's voice, so he doesn't sound right.
0: Attack confirmed! Crash imminent! Flight!
1: Omega crashes down to an asteroid while his passengers exit the rocket and get in a laser battle with the Decepticons who are determined to get to the Junkions first. We're a gun, man. We don't have a chance.
0: Boy, that's what makes life interesting. Or over.
1: The Autobots and Decepticons fire at each other as we head to our second commercial break.
0: Man, I hope I get to see Omega Supreme in robot mode at some point in this episode. Or if they're just gonna do another one where he's just like in a rocket and just stranded for a long time. <laughs> that would be a that'd be a bummer and a half. So okay. You got me interested in this episode again. But rituals and propriety must be observed. So let's go buy things. Oh, we're not going anywhere. That's right. We're gonna keep on using the phone, aren't we?
1: Yep. Stay put. Here come the commercials, and once again, we have our TV trying to influence us to run to the phone and order a hot toy that you can't go get at a store. And what was maybe the greatest toy you had to order over the phone? Well, Mm. how about the Sergeant Slaughter G.I. Joe figure?
0: That Joe's surrounded by cobras. Yeah, Yeah, but that Joe's Sergeant Slaughter. He's joined the G.I. Joe team. So we're
1: celebrating by giving away Sergeant Slaughter action figures. But you can't buy them in stores. You've got to earn them.
0: Here's how. Collect five Sergeant Slaughter certificates or call the number on the certificate and Sergeant Slaughter will tell you how to get in on the action with only four certificates. There's a $1 handling charge. See details in specially marked packages.
1: G.I. Joe! Nobody takes on cobras better than Sergeant Slaughter.
0: Yeah, Joe! Mm, without a doubt, that that would be the best of all of them. Yep. This this should have been saved for last or the first because everything <laughs> else is going to be a disappointment outside of having a plastic version of the manliest man who ever manned <laughs> in in my house. And yeah, I'll call the number. I don't care if there's a 50-cent charge for calling the phone and a dollar handling fee for that. <laughs> I want to get it without getting all five tickets or coupons or whatever that I had to get at the time. So... Yeah, we've, we've talked a lot about Sgt. Slaughter on this podcast, right? We have, we to...
1: but one thing we have not talked about, it only hit me yesterday. I saw this commercial. Mm-hmm. I had some of these Sgt. Slaughter tickets from buying G.I. Joe toys. I <laughs> called the 1-900 number twice. I only told my parents I was calling it once, and then we got <laughs> the phone bill.
0: And they oh, no. saw that
1: extra added 50 cents that I called it twice, and I was like, drat, I've been found out.
0: <laughs> I just
1: called it twice <laughs> to see if maybe there was like a different recording or something, but no, it was the uh... same. But what's so strange is I did not have that first Sarge figure. What? I had the Sarge that came with the triple T, and I did not have this mail order one. I don't know why, because I was still buying G.I. Joe figures at the time. I was mainly into Cobra, but right. I still bought Joe's, too. Maybe I just didn't... I wasn't sold on Sarge himself yet, because I wasn't really much of a wrestler watcher at this time. Mm. Hmm. So I don't know. I mean, I had Sarge tickets. I called the number. If I ordered the figure, I never got it. But I got Sarge and the Triple T... For Christmas so that's a mystery in my life that I'd like to go back and solve go back to little 10 year old Hoover Hoover why are you not ordering the Sergeant Slaughter figure you have the tickets you called the number what's the missing element here
0: <laughs> so it's because you hadn't seen that episode of the Super Mario Brothers Super Show with Sergeant mm. Slaughter on it yet and that would have done it that would have sealed the deal now I don't know do, do you have any recollection of what the phone recording said
1: well it was Sarge on the phone I believe, and he was, like, telling you, oh, if, if you write this code or whatever, you can only use four tickets instead of five. Okay. And I was like, oh, this is interesting, and I called it right <laughs> back after hanging up and got the same message. So...
0: <laughs> called it right back in case it'd be like, it's me again, my yeah. Hoover. it's our slaughter. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. So you were, you were seeking out Cameo.com before Cameo.com? Yeah, I guess so. I don't think you can underline how powerful that kind of mojo was back then. I, I remember when I was, like, right out of high school, and I called, like, They Might Be Giants, like, mm-hmm. dial a song, and I got John Flansburg on the phone by accident. Mm-hmm. And I was like, who is this? Like, this is John Flansburg. How can I help you? And I was like, what? well, how am I talking to you? <laughs> 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 And I remember I hung up the phone afterwards. I didn't take up much of his time. So I'm like, you're busy, dude. I'm not going to mess up your day. But I just remember laughing and laughing and laughing that I talked to that guy on the phone. And I, and I think I, as a little kid, if I would have had Sergeant Slaughter on the phone, oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah, sure in my
1: 10-year-old of- mind, that was that was what was happening. Sergeant was yeah. sitting by a phone waiting for all yeah. the calls to come in. Hello. <laughs>
0: Hey maggot. Oh, he called me maggot. I'm, not, I'm never gonna watch these ears again. so yeah I, I never had them either. I I never called those numbers because the fear of reprisal from parents was too great. <laughs> and it was fifty cents 50 cents <laughs> I love it.
1: I remember getting a stern talking to.
0: yeah did you call the number twice?
1: Oh, they know. <laughs>
0: there's two things that are like really cliche about that time period that I think is like probably like pretty universal. And that's why it's a cliche is don't leave lights on and Uh don't make long distance calls. Like Uh do not call long distance. Don't call anything. That's going to put a charge there. I don't care how little it is, but I remember getting the the speech of like, every time you flick on a light switch, that's 25 cents. I'm like, well, what is it? It means nothing to me. I don't know what money means. I'm 10. (laughs) So, so, yeah, I, but I was scared enough that I was like, I want to call it. I want to talk to Sergeant Slaughter, but I didn't. So I envy you, Hoover. I envy the fact that you get to hear him talk on the phone. <laughs> but yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll call the number now to see. And actually, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go to YouTube to see if I can find that recording <laughs> so I can listen to it. And then I'm going to mail away from my Sergeant Slaughter figure because there's literally no such thing as too many Sergeant Slaughter's. <laughs> and So as evidenced by my Sergeant Slaughter shelf in my studio that I'm looking at right now. Okay, so... <laughs> You did the best. Now give me the rest.
1: (laughs) Well, it works so well with Sarge. Let's do the whole thing over again with William the Refrigerator Perry as a G.I. Joe figure.
0: (laughs) He's getting mad. He's getting mean. He's breaking the line for the G.I. Joe team. That's right. It's William the Refrigerator Perry. The fridge is destroying G.I. Joe. And you can get a free fridge. He is out. Collect five fridge certificates or call the number on the certificate and the fridge will tell you how to get in on the action with only four certificates. There's a one dollar handling charge. See details on specially marked G.I. Joe packages. Watch out, Cobra. Fridge is coming through. Go Joe <laughs> Did you know who he was when you were a kid?
1: I did, just because thing it was so prevalent after the Bears won the Super Bowl in nineteen eighty five, you know, there was a Super Bowl oh. shuffle and everything.
0: I forgot so about
1: that. This was like a nationally popular team. And I didn't know anything about sports, but I knew yeah. the Chicago Bears. And they had a couple players who were basically pop culture stars back then. Wow. I remember one guy who like wore sunglasses all the time. I don't remember his name. <laughs> but the other guy was William the Refrigerator Perry. And they called him the Refrigerator because he was built
0: like one. Oh, that because he could lift a refrigerator or anything like that. Okay, <laughs> or see, maybe
1: they called him that because he went to the refrigerator a little too, <laughs> too often. I don't know.
0: Oh, that's William. He likes the sandwiches. We call the refrigerator. let's <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, see, I didn't. I didn't know anything about football or basketball when I was a kid. I was super into baseball though. So if it would have been like, oh, Keith Hernandez or Daryl strawberry's now fighting with GI Joe, i been like, <laughs> I'm there. Oh my gosh, I gotta get the straw for sure. <laughs> or or ricky henderson oh my gosh he steals all the bases he's gonna steal all the secrets from cobra but but like i when i saw william the refrigerator pair i'm like who's this guy i don't know he's got like a he's got numbers on his shirt does he play baseball no oh so yeah somebody you know point me at if anybody has like an etsy store where they make custom joes make me a custom keith hernandez i wouldn't mind make the whole 1986 mets team you know that that would be amazing So, but yeah, uh, let's see, Refrigerator Perry, he's a real guy, that's always a little bit more exciting, he's he's big, he can lift refrigerators, I guess I'll get him, I'll get him.
1: Well, at the time, I could not care any less, because (laughs) it was, I think it was 88, it might have been 87, but it was, it was like a year or two after Sarge, and they're even using the same shot of the kids on the phone in the commercial, they're like, we don't need to (laughs) record that again. (laughs)
0: I forgot about the kids all looking at you like, "Oh my gosh, you're really talking to him on the phone."
1: <laughs> so, I was like, that nah, uh, nah, that's okay. I don't need William the refrigerator Perry on my Giotto team. I have him now. I think it's quaint and funny." But
0: <laughs> do do you have the stick with the chain of the football on the end?
1: Yeah, I think I do. Oh my god.
0: Do you do you have Captain Gridiron riding pity, piggyback on him?
1: <laughs> I do not have a Captain Gridiron figure surprisingly. <laughs>
0: oh okay that's two you got me to get it that's five actually right i've gotten five so far
1: well one more commercial let's do one more before we go back and watch the show okay and getting away from toys a bit one thing often sold over the television commercials in the 1980s were compilation albums tapes and cds hmm You can get a tape or CD or an album featuring different artists
0: all together on
1: one album.
0: Like a mixtape made by somebody
1: I don't know? Exactly. (laughs) No more did you have to buy 73 different albums by 73 (laughs) different artists. You could just buy one. Like Secret (laughs) Love, one of them eternally burned into my memory. Four records, three cassettes, or three compact discs all the gentle rock love songs you or your parents could possibly want. Just listen. Hi! If you like soft rock music like we do, you'll love Sessions' new album called Secret Love.
0: It has 48 soft rock classics do by the original artist. Just listen.
1: That's four records or three cassette tapes for only nineteen ninety 3 compact discs, only twenty nine ninety five.
0: Call toll-free 1-800-441-0200. That's 1-800-441-0200. Or send check or money order to the address on your screen. yes the sessions presents series was like something that was ubiquitous and it played during the cartoons too and i was like oh love i thought i was gonna get to see a good commercial (laughs) (laughs) so what was your relationship with these sessions presents commercials
1: oh i saw them all the time and i saw them so frequently that oftentimes i would memorize the order of the songs uh-huh. And it would be in my head as if it were just one big song. And then mm. like my parents would like catch me singing that one <laughs> big song. And they're like, what are you singing? Because that's like seven <laughs> different songs. <laughs> but to me, it was just all one big song. And it was, it was like the first time I was hearing a lot of these songs, like the Moody Blues, Nights in White Satin. Mm-hmm. That was like the first time I ever heard it so because just that one line is in the commercial that's the only part i knew of that song for the longest time
0: yep same yeah uh, cuz i was not like a big radio kid i didn't like my older brother he was 5 years older than me so he was like actually putting like the tape deck up to the radio and recording songs off the radio like people did back then mm-hmm. but i didn't i didn't really care it wasn't weird out like that was the only music i really <laughs> cared about as a child but but i do remember that those commercials buried themselves in my brain so deeply that when we did Vocabulary tests at school. This is fifth grade. I remember I got in trouble because you had to use the word in a sentence, and I would often use the word in a lyric to one of the sessions present songs. <laughs> I don't remember what the words were, but I remember specifically, like, I don't know what that word means, but I heard it said in this little clip in a Sessions present song, so I'll just write like. and I thought I'd get away with it by putting musical notes on the beginning and end of the sentence instead of punctuation. I'm like, no, that's not demonstrating your comprehension of the word. <laughs> so I didn't really get in trouble, but I didn't get a point for those those words, but... Okay, well, you know what? As a boy, I didn't think sitting by a fire with somebody I love was a very good idea. But I'm a man now, Hoover, and that sounds wonderful. I'm gonna sit I'm gonna sit down with my, you know, my better blocks, make some space armor, and listen to romantic music with my with my partner. So you won. I did all six. Wow. <laughs> You bring up
1: a good point. How come when we took those tests where we had to put a word in a sentence, how come we didn't just make the sentence, the teacher said, use the word (laughs) watermelon or whatever word in a sentence?
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So like, yes, the teacher told me to write the word rhinestone with some other words around it. Boom, there's the sentence, right? But (laughs) instead I wrote, I'm a rhinestone cowboy with (laughs) musical notes around it, that kind of thing. (laughs) if anybody else did that email us at four million years later at gmail.com i'd love to hear from people who like had that kind of relationship with the sessions present series this is a
1: very typical of my life though i'm just now figuring out how to properly do fourth grade at my
0: age (laughs) That's why time travel movies are so compelling, right? It's, it's, it's that image of being able to go back and whisper in Young Hoover's ear, "Just do this. You've got him on a of technicality." <laughs> <laughs> What's a technicality? Right in a sentence.
1: <laughs> and I'm sure the teachers would have been all, "Well, he's got me. A plus.
0: Check and checkmate." <laughs> then it, then panel three is Hoover being lifted up on the student's shoulders. Hooray! <laughs> Hooray for the kid who outwitted the teacher. <laughs>
1: All right, well, let's get back to the show. Okay. As we return, the Quintessons are taking note of all the galactic upheaval caused by their subliminal messages. Other planets have traced the source of the signals to Junkion, which the Quintessons don't like as it increases the likelihood that someone will find their precious journal where they wrote down all the plots to the Bionic 6 episodes. (laughs) It's a good joke. So they head to Junkion in order to find the journal before anyone else. Now keep in mind this journal is a cylindrical metal barrel looking thing on a planet covered in metal junk. Who exactly would see a metal cylinder and think it was something of any value? This is the third act and the episode still doesn't make any sense because they've neglected to tell us any important information. What is in this journal? Why is it on Junkion? Mm. Why would anyone perceive it as valuable? Why am I 14 minutes into a 22-minute program and still missing key information? Who is to blame for this? I haven't read the original script, so I don't know if Reeves put in all the important information in there, or it somehow got lost in translating it to animation. I don't know. With ACOM, it's hard to say. I'm always happy to blame it on the time crunch that it took to get these episodes out, but I just can't tell where the blame lies, and it's really bothering me.
0: You know what's really bothering me about this scene is while the Quintessons are talking, they cut to one of the Quintessons in the back, and he's just holding this metal box, and he's kind of moving it around. He's like holding it up in the air and like shaking it, and they and they never explain why that is. Yeah, <laughs> like, I mean, that, that's
1: it... sort of like typical of this episode. <laughs> it's like we really don't know what's going on and why. I mean, yeah. the subliminal messages. We get that point. Mm-hmm. But it's just not being told well.
0: Yeah.
1: Maybe it's ACOM's fault, maybe it's not, I don't know, but it's somebody's fault. Yeah. We cut back to the Autobot-Decepticon battle, and thankfully the Decepticons are strafing the Autobots from the air while the Autobots are on an asteroid or something that they never bothered to give us an establishing shot of. (laughs) So at least they're not just shooting at each other all lined up in a row like they usually are. True. Magnus is trying to repair Omega Supreme while the other three Autobots return fire at the Decepticons. Rodimus orders Cup to draw them away from Omega Supreme, so Cup then transforms to vehicle mode and zooms off, pursued by two sweeps. Cyclonus turns to Scourge and says, Take the other Autobot. I want Rodimus
0: Prime.
1: I was kind of hoping that they would touch on the rivalry between Cyclonus and Ultra Magnus again, but Mm. I suppose in the absence of Galvatron, Cyclonus feels compelled to take on the Autobot commander. Scourge and another sweep head off Blaster as Cyclonus chases after Rodimus, who turns and blasts Cyclonus in the knee. Another sweep concentrates on Magnus, who's rushing to finish the repair job on Omega. But Magnus finishes just in time, allowing the Autobot Titan to transform to robot mode and turn the tide. Omega manages to save all his compatriots and sends the Decepticons retreating, allowing them to continue on to Junkion.
0: Now everybody... I know you were imagining that in your head as Hoover was describing that because that's what we do. We have visual imaginations and you all pictured Omega standing up and looking powerful and Titanic and then Scourge and Cyclones going like, oh no. And then like, you know, having all sorts of what for being dealt out to them. But it's ACOM. So we literally see a horizontal shot of Omega Supreme's foot kicking him. And they just like <laughs> kind of fly off the screen, almost as if they took the animation cell, and just moved Scourge and Cyclones <laughs> off of the screen. Oh, it's so good to see Omega Supreme again. We've gone into this. He's one of my favorite characters. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I forgot that he's in this. And then I see him and he's like, oh, but he he looks like that. So it's not like a very exciting homecoming.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, as the band of Decepticons are heading back to Char, they come across Galvatron and Blastoff flying in space towards them. Galvatron, where are you going? To the signal, to be a winner. I believe in me. Wasn't that what Rekgar said? He's headed for
0: Junkion. Okay, and this is where I'm going to point everybody back to where Rekgar got that line. So Galvatron was on char watching aerobics videos. That's the only conclusion we could draw from this, Hoover. Hmm. I <laughs> as, can't find anything a, wrong with that. As a kid, I thought that was the funniest thing in the world, that this like deranged, maniacal, devious villain is like, well, what am I going to do with my downtime? Let's see what's on the tube. Oh, this, this exercise show looks fun. <laughs> <laughs> and now he's hypnotized that he, he believes in himself. Good for you, Galvatron.
1: Well, Meanwhile, above Junkion, multiple planetary air forces arrive and fire on one another, and then the Junkions fire on everyone else. The Quints, still watching all this unfold, concoct a plan to use the battle as a cover to hunt for their ever-important journal. They descend to the planet. Meanwhile, the Autobots arrive and can't believe the size of the battle going on. But it's about to get bigger. oh guess who joined the party? Galvatron has arrived with Blastoff, Cyclonus, and some sweeps. They land on Junkion, as do the Autobots. We actually see Soundwave exit Blastoff before he transforms, so here's an unexpected Soundwave sighting. And guess what happens next? If you guess that the Autobots and Decepticons start fighting again, you are correct. Uh Galvatron transforms and fires at Rodimus and Magnus, but Omega Supreme steps in to take the blast, crashing down to the ground.
0: Which is a great idea. I love the idea of Omega Supreme jumping in front of a Galvatron blast to protect his friends because he's the last line of defense of the Autobots. It says so of his tech specs and everything. But again, it's like they just like slide him into the shot yeah. <laughs> and then he blast that out of the scene. So it's like, oh, cool idea. I wish it looked better. Also, is this the only episode that features all of the Transformers space shuttles? We've had Skylink's Lynx, Astrotrain, and Blastoff in this one. I think so. Oh, a scrapyard. What an appropriate place for you to meet your end, Rodimus Prime. You're the one
1: who'll be junk, Galvatron.
0: Oh, another
1: <laughs> sick burn from Rodimus. <laughs> oh,
0: Rodimus has to level up in other ways, too. <laughs> <laughs> Wit would be one of them.
1: <laughs> well, the pair start fighting as the Quintessons hover above the planet in a small shuttle. They quickly locate their precious journal and lift it up with some kind of tractor beam. Then we cut back to the Galvatron-Rodimus battle, where Galvatron has gotten the upper hand. As he aims his cannon, he says,
0: Farewell, Rodimus Prime!
1: He fires, but Rodimus picks up a metal panel off the ground full of junk and reflects the blast up into the air where it hits the Quintesson shuttle disengaging the tractor beam and sending the journal crashing back down to the planet, and the Quinasan shuttle spinning out of control. Under heavy fire, Blaster and Magnus try to figure out why an interplanetary war is broken out. If we knew what was causing this insanity, maybe we could stop it. Great minds take on the same lines. My sensors say that antenna's pulling a hypnotic bomb from space. Can you counteract it? Maybe soon strange strains will ease the pain. Hey dude, I need altitude! Blaster has a plan and needs Omega Supreme to take him into the air. From above the planet, he broadcasts the subliminal signal as an audible signal, I
0: guess. So he starts playing easy listening music. So this is another reason that Hoover should get a special award for the commercial breaks this episode, because Blaster literally starts playing Secret Love into the (laughs) sky (laughs) to get everybody to calm down. (laughs) But yes, it is confusing because, like, also, while the like the easy listening music is playing, we do get a repeat of the quintessence message about like enemies, your enemies, which is like, wait, 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 is he like sort of making the implicit explicit? So it's kind of muddled as to what he, exactly he's doing. But Rodimus says later on, it's like, don't ever play that easy listening stuff again. So mm-hmm. that's my guess of what the intention was.
1: And this reveals to everyone that they were controlled. I guess it seems that way anyway.
0: The television, it bewitched me. However, that doesn't mean I don't really hate you, Rodimus. I do. So here we have another screen victim to Galvatron's cannon. right? This is something he likes to do is shoot the TV. But... I I want us to follow up on this later in our wrap up of the episode with this idea of like the television, it bewitched me, (laughs) which is like more of this idea of like the boob tube and, you know, screen time. And it's always, always bad for us. And like being more media savvy, but it's always delivered in this way of there's something inherently dangerous about the thing. And you should always be on your guard about it. Right. So if even Galatron can be bewitched, By the television (laughs) It's a great line
1: The aerobics program, it bewitched me
0: (laughs) That Olivia (laughs) Newton-John With her piercing eyes But then the (laughs) Tokyons
1: Back in their proper headspace Pull their guns on the Decepticons More than evening up the odds Go ahead,
0: make my day you think I fear these rattletrap robots? I do not!
1: Galvatron transforms, and yes, another firefight breaks out, but soon he gets overwhelmed by the numbers and calls a retreat, leaving Retgar to comment. Substantial penalty for early withdrawal. Rodimus congratulates Blaster for a job well done, but still has questions. Retgar, what happened? <laughs>
0: I don't know. I was a victim of psychomstes. I
1: wonder if we'll ever know who broadcast those mysterious programs. Personally, I don't care. As long as they're off the air for good. We cut back to the Quinasons returning to their ship, having been unable to retrieve the journal. They admit their failure to the other Quinissons and are prepared to accept the penalty of death. I'll
0: be happy to oblige you, but first, we find the journal before the information in it sets everyone in the galaxy against us.
1: And that's it. The end, except for a two-minute Autobot biography. Okay. Is it a good plot to have Quintesson secrets get out secrets so deep that they instantly turn the galaxy against the Quintessons, supposedly? Yes. That's a perfectly acceptable plot particularly because we still know next to nothing about these Quintessons. Is it good to not explain how their journal gets lost? To not explain what secrets are in the journal? And to give no indication of its contents? No, that's not good writing. I'm just spitballing this here, but here's how you make this episode make sense. You start out with DEVCON, Autobot Intergalactic Bounty Hunter, with mm. his sidekick, Lizardo, narrowly escaping Quintessa. Well, Quintessa doesn't exist at this point, but they're narrowly escaping the Quintesson ship with <laughs> a cylindrical device. And then you have Devcon saying things like, I just can't believe this, Lizardo. We have to get this information to Cybertron immediately, giving mm. viewers not just a sense of urgency, but starting a sort of ticking clock of impending doom. And we see the Quints in hot pursuit firing on Devcon's ship, Clearly, they want to get back this thing that DEVCON has. Mm-hmm. But then they shoot down DEVCON's ship over Junkion. And then you can have the Quintessons give us some indication that if that information gets out, the rest of the galaxy will destroy them. You know, the info that they made us wait 20 minutes for in the actual episode. <laughs> we need to know that right away. Uh-huh. They would blast DEVCON's ship, and it would detonate over Junkion. would Play it ambiguous whether Devcon and Slezardo will make it out, if I could, mm. if the censors would let me. Most importantly, the ship would be in pieces, scattered on Junkion, and the journal would be there in the debris. Then, you could cut to the beginning of the episode and have it proceed more or less how it does. And don't tell me there's not time for that intro, because you can just cut out some of the plentiful Autobot vs. Decepticon footage where they just shooting at each other across
0: a big mm-hmm. chasm
1: as they always do. Yep. Sometimes it feels like Sunbo got paid according to how many laser battles that they crammed into <laughs> each episode. Yeah. And from there, you need to give me a better reason for the Quintessons' subliminal messages and how they go wrong. Their intent is never really clear. If you're trying to control them with subliminal messages, How about you make the message, Worship the Quintessons and find our lost journal for us, but don't open it. (laughs) Instead of actively making it hard for them to approach the planet. Seriously, it's all just super flimsy. Now, I do know that this all ties into the next episode somehow, and I didn't rewatch it early to see if it makes better sense after watching the second episode, but I shouldn't have to. If you can't give me a 20-minute story involving my favorite characters that instantly make sense, that I instantly fully understand, then you fail. (laughs) Again, I don't want to lay all the blame on the writer, because just looking at his body of work, there's no way he was churning out an episode this bad and then getting hired to work on all those other cartoons. Maybe this was an off day, Maybe he had to shoehorn the journal plot in after he already wrote the episode in order to tie it in with the next episode. Maybe ACOM just bunkled it all. I don't know. But somebody, maybe multiple people, messed this up and messed it up bad. So we have another strong candidate here for Hoover's bottom five. And it doesn't matter who's responsible for messing it up. Because it's messed up, and I can't in good conscience suggest you watch it if you haven't watched it already. At least Carnage and C-Minor are so terrible that it's like a train wreck, and you just (laughs) want to see the numerous things wrong with it. This is just disappointing, with nothing to it but laser battles and not even inventive ones. And worse yet, this is the last time we see Omega Supreme. Not only did they screw up his voice effects completely, but they drew him super sloppy. This isn't how you want to remember him. So, clearly there's positives about the episode. The idea Mm -hmm. of subliminal messages affecting the entire galaxy, that's Mm -hmm. fine. That's great. Do it. But this whole thing, oh, we lost our journal. What's the journal? Oh, we lost that journal. It's important. We got to get it back. Why do you got to get it back? Because we got to get it back. Okay. (laughs) Well, all in all, I think this episode gets a thumbs down for me. But what do you think, Jersey? Am I being too harsh? Tell me how we Uh, how we save this episode. Do you think it's better than I do? What do you think?
0: Well, first of all, yeah, like every episode is going to be somebody's favorite, right? There's probably somebody out there who like really dearly loves Carnage and C Minor, right? And and I don't want to. You know, how, how does that line go? Yuck there yum. You know? Yeah. But I,
1: I feel the same way. Just because I'm just because I'm dumping all over this episode, yeah, if you right. love it, more power to you. I'm not one of those people say this episode sucks, <laughs> and if you like it, you suck too.
0: I'm not one of those people. <laughs> See you at the comic store. Yeah. Yeah. So When <laughs> I mean, that's a cliche now too. Okay, so if you contextualize it in the sense that As I was pointing out earlier, this was like kind of a a hot topic in the 80s. Culturally speaking, Americans were really worried about messaging in media. We were becoming a little bit more aware of mass media has an effect on people, and we should be careful. And I mean, really, mass media having an effect on people goes all the way back to the beginning of radio, Right. So, I mean, there's there's people who, you know, study Chomsky and, and, and media and, oh gosh, what was that other guy from Canada that everybody liked, Marshall McLuhan, you know, and thinking about how propaganda can be used to direct people's opinions, you know, this has been around for a long time, but like, it, it seemed like in the 80s, we were kind of like extra worried about it in music and cartoons and cartoons in particular were picking up that ball and running with it in terms of coming up with speculative fiction like the cold slither episode of gi joe for those who never watched it cobra makes a heavy metal band they play music and people love it because like somehow the dreadnoughts are really really great musicians after all (laughs) they didn't have to study their whole lives like the beatles they just like pick up the guitars they're like okay with cold slither
1: well i think in the episode they're not even actually playing the guitars i think they're the music is pre-recorded and they're pretending to play
0: that's right that's right. But then Cobra puts in subliminal messages so that they can take control of all the teenagers and put them in a stadium. And there's that wonderful line where Cobra Commander says, citizens of the world, do you know where your children are tonight? I do. <laughs> That's a great line. But I mean, but it's it's really on the nose, right? That is playing directly into that narrative built on the fear of what is mass media doing to our young people. This one feels like it takes that, that kernel of an idea of like, what... What happens if you're not media savvy? How could I play that in a Transformers universe? Well, there's this whole planet of people whose culture is based on television. They speak in television quotes. They don't have I mean, you literally could, and I'm sure somebody has, just like if somebody wrote the Klingon language, I'm sure there's somebody out there who's written a junkie on language, right? There's certain idioms and phrases that you use for this specific purpose based on this TV quote, right? So, That's an inventive idea. Is say like, okay, what happens if we take the least, or rather, I wouldn't say the junkies are not media savvy, but they are more potentially more susceptible to cleverly constructed and nefarious media because their culture is so dependent on that kind of media. That's an interesting twist. Okay, now I agree with you with a lot of the problems you cited. What's the Quintessential Journal? I don't know. Well, journals have secrets in them. At least a lot of people use them for secrets. So at least we can make that leap. But you're right. How did it get on Junkion? We don't know. But they at least say in the beginning of the episode, one of the Quintessons says these Junkions defend their accumulation of rubbish as if it's their native soil. In other words, he's saying we can't just go get the journal because they'll, they'll, they'll attack us. They'll try to kill us because they'll defend their their soil. So, OK, well, let's give them a subliminal message to get them to clean up the place and make them really, really scared of everybody else. So nobody will come looking for the journal. So, OK, so if somebody else is looking for the journal. You should have established that. <laughs> then we would actually understand why you chose this subliminal message, because your point is valid if they just said, like, worship quintessence. But perhaps that's something that their own patriotism would never allow them to do. Right? Maybe there's that. that. maybe that's what that line about defending their native soil is so important to them. Okay, well, we can't just get them to just give it to us, so we gotta be sneaky about it. That's not explicitly stated in the episode, right? Mm-hmm. We have to do a little bit of inferencing to get there, which is kind of a drag. So I I wouldn't say it's flimsy, but it feels underdeveloped. It's a really interesting exploitation of a commonly discussed fear in a, a mass media about mass media in a mass media. And it was, it, it really does approach this kind of like Asimov Roddenberry kind of uh, speculation about like what's going to happen in the future if we're not careful about this stuff, because then yeah, it gets out of their hands because the, the tape gets screwed up on their ship and they start broadcasting the wrong message, which leads to all these unintended consequences, creating like a galactic wide civil war kind of thing. That's all super fascinating. I I love the idea itself. But Mm -hmm. so I don't think I don't. God, this is just like Carnage in C minor. It's like it's like there's there's like a nugget there that's like really when you if you were sitting across the table from me and said, I got this idea for a story and this happens. And I'd be like, wow, tell me more.
1: Mm -hmm. Exactly. That nugget gets an A plus. Yeah. Execution of the nugget F minus minus.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a tough episode to watch. It's not as bad as carnage and C minor, but it's tough to watch. There's like a lot of off model weirdness. There's a lot of weird pauses. A lot of things that are meant to be dramatic, feel really clumsy and kind of awkward. Like when superior is fighting the quintessence ship, it's you, you can hear it in the dialogue and, and then see it in the way things are trying to move that it's supposed to be Titanic. When Omega Supreme takes the, the shot from Galvatron, it looks really clumsy. You could tell it was supposed to be something really cool and I agree with you that like, it would have been so fun to have a little two minute bit with some other Autobots. We haven't seen in a while like Devcon or even somebody else, you know, make it blur, make it somebody else. He doesn't have to be in the whole episode, but just have somebody getting the journal onto Junkion on would have gone a long way. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I, I feel like the the constraints that they set up for themselves in terms of why they had to use the subliminal messaging was was a good start. It feels like it needed further development, or at least it needed some explicit language, which, for all we know, could have been dropped because there are some super awkward parts where Cyclona starts talking mid sentence, you could tell there were two sentences before that that got nixed somehow mm-hmm. because when. Astro Train shows up on Char and says, Galvatron, I saw this funny thing. Galvatron punches him in the head and it cuts the Cyclonus and says, well, with the Junkions acting this way, what? He didn't get <laughs> to say anything about the Junkions. You know, it really feels once again like an ACOM episode in that like stuff got trimmed out for some reason. And the fact that we have a two minute Tales of Cybertron thing at the end mm-hmm. goes to show that like there was something didn't get finished. So, yeah, it's a toughie. But I think it wins points. Okay, so if I were scoring it on a rubric, I would say, "Yep, yep." Execution is all like bad, 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 two, 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 two out of five. (laughs) But conceptually and application of the of the concept, right? I got a subliminal messages story in 1986. Oh, not you too. Yeah, but this way, this one, I'm actually talking about how it's going to be used to victimize people whose entire culture is based on media consumption. Oh, tell me more. Mm-hmm. Right. That I think is really, really cool. And and yeah. it feels very fresh and unique for its time. So I, I, I don't know if I'd put it in the bottom five, but yeah, it's, it's, it's one where I would say like, if you want to get a sense of the unbridled creativity that came out of the rampant consumerism of the eighties, I think this is a good example of that. It's not a good example of like, well, watch how it all comes together to create good art. Does that make sense? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think the initial bud of an idea is great. I would definitely have had greenlit that idea if I had been in the writer's room. But looking <laughs> at the end result, it's just like, oh. Again, <laughs> you got to feel bad for Michael <laughs> Reeves because it was it was an A-plus idea in the beginning. Yeah. And then yeah. it ended up, an F minus minus episode at the end, so <laughs> you have to be, feel bad for him because the idea started with him.
0: Yeah, yeah, and yeah, and like I, I think we've been talking about this on some recent episodes. It's just like I, I, as I, the more I spend time with this show and with all of the ideas that we explore through the commercial breaks, the more sort of caught up I am in how it just felt like it was this time where everybody was just barfing out mythologies all over the place and like really just trying out. Anything where they could take a spin on something that was in the zeitgeist at the time and try to put like a, a, their own creative, you know, twirl to it. And so I think part of the reason that this show sort of holds such a place in our hearts and in our minds for, for Gen Xers who grew up with it is that it, it sort of comes along with this energy of the time of it just felt like it was going to be a period of never ending burgeoning creativity. That was how it felt to me. Like, when Visionaries came out, it's like, well, I'm not super into it, but it's just so cool that here's another new idea. Mm. Aerator's comes out, I'm like, well, I'm not super sold on it yet, but wow, what an interesting concept. It just kept coming, or it felt like it was keeping coming, and yes, it only took, like, one more year, and then it all stopped. <laughs> and then everything got extreme. <laughs> but... But I think that this is a good example. I would say this this is a good place to dip your cup in the water and say, like, what did it feel like at that time? It felt like this. It felt like stuff was being sort of, like, pumped out really fast. And, yes, to a degree, hacked out. But it was based on a lot of really creative people doing their best to come up with stuff that was actually interesting. And that's, a, once again, I know everybody's heard me say this probably, like, what episode is this, 85? hmm So, triple that you've heard me say this triple 85 times is that these people were creative people all doing their best. And I think that that's <laughs> worth remembering when we talk about this stuff. Yes. It was a commercial. Yes. It was mercenary, but it was also the engine of it was creative people doing their best. So, <sighs> yeah. So yeah, I, I probably won't watch it again for another 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> I do love that line to share us to care. though. that's pretty good.
1: And it's sad that that was just such... That was like one minute of the episode. And then they just went back to fight everybody. Mm. But hopefully somehow this can be salvaged posthumously by the next episode, which is called The Quintesson Journal. Ah. So let's see if somehow this one writes the ship. I don't Mm. know. There's only 13 more episodes of the series, kids, and only 10 more in season three.
0: Which episode is the Quintesson Journal on 2B? Season 3 episode 21 on 2B. The Quintesson Journal. And you can also find Yeah, it on originally
1: that post. episode aired before this one, so <laughs> Season 3 was just a mess in so many different ways.
0: Oh, season 3. You tried so hard. Okay. Well, Hoover, thank you again for these discussions about Transformers. I always have a good time talking about this stuff with you. If you want to be the person who stole the Quinasan journal from the Quinasans and their ship and then got blowed up over Junkion and are now, you know, starting up your own hamburger stand on the planet of junk with a bunch of Junkions watching TV around you, go out onto the internet and write a few nice things about us. That helps more people find the show. And, Hoover, we got some really nice comments made about the show recently on the social medias.
1: Yay.
0: So, yeah, Norman Shirtliff. thank you, Norman, for this, wrote on Twitter, well, he might have been solicited, he might have been listening to the show when he heard me say, like, go say some nice things about us, but either way, he he went out and did the thing, and he said, podcast recommendation, four million years later, is a hilarious, hilarious, let me underline that three more times, hilarious, hilarious, hilarious (laughs) podcast about the original Transformers cartoon, I'm always laughing, but it's Jersey's insights on storytelling that keep me invested. How nice Mm. is that?
1: Come for the laughter, stay for the Jersey. Tolerate
0: the Hoover. <laughs> that's yes. That's gonna be our sticker that we'll give you to put on your cars. Yeah, and then and then other people started chiming in on that, saying like, "Oh, I absolutely love the show. Listen every time I'm in the car." You know. So yeah, it's it starts a little snowball effect. It gets more people to pipe up about it, and then it shows us first of all that people are listening, and second of all, sends a message to everybody else that like, "Hey, this thing means something to me." So, you know what? Social media, let's go back to that media-savvy thing. You know, you could pump out all other life forms are your enemies, or you could say <laughs> to share is to care. Mm-hmm. Who do you want to be more like? You want to be more like Retgar? You want to be like the Quintessons? I choose Rekgar. So thanks to Norman and everybody who sends nice messages about us online. That means the world to us. Switching from Rekgar to Swindle, Hoover, is there any other way they can support this project?
1: <laughs> yeah, well, you can just go to our tea <laughs> Public Store. tpublic.com slash user slash four million years later and there's all kinds of designs there that you can get slapped onto just about anything under the sun tote bags t-shirts baby onesies stickers phone cases
0: Mm. yes thanks to everybody who supports us by purchasing things at our tpublic store that means a lot to us too okay well this show drops on Thursdays at 4millionyearslater.com and in podcatchers you know how podcasts work you're listening to one right now this is another thing people say on podcasts which I didn't realize like if you haven't subscribed please subscribe I didn't know that people don't subscribe and just listen to single <laughs> episodes that's a that's a thing I usually subscribe first and then like unsubscribe if I don't like it so yeah me too. If, if you, yeah, if you're one of the people who like listens before you subscribe if you haven't and you're here this would be a good time to hit that subscribe button so thanks to everybody who does do that alright, until next time I have been Jersey Drozd of 4millionyearslater.com and rss.jdrozd.com for everything I make
1: and I have been whovar, and I believe in me ok bye goodbye
0: episode synopses are from imdb.com and some episode information taken from tfwiki.net the closing theme is by Nick Mahalik. Based on the original closing theme by Ford Kinder and Ann Bryant. You can find more of Nick's music at soundcloudcom Nicholas Mahalik.
1: That's spelled N I C H O L A S M E H A L I C K.
0: Find us on Facebook under 4 Million Years Later, and you can email us at 4MillionYearsLater at gmail.com.
1: Visit 4millionyearslater.com and if you haven't yet, please subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. You know how it works.